Hello everyone, Justin Bell here and welcome to this week's episode of Drive to Win from the Win Las Vegas presented by the Win Las Vegas and brought to you by Mobile One for the love of driving. Well, for the love of driving, if you watched the Italian Grand Prix at the weekend, you know that it was all about some of some of the best driving. It was so exciting. I, I got up early, watched it live, couldn't couldn't have had more fun, watched every every progression from free practice one all the way through qualifying. And if you do that, by the time the green flag falls, which of course it took a little while, uh, because of Yuki Tsunoda having been pulled over with a failed car on the warm-up lap. If you watch it all, you are so invested in it that you feel like you're there. Well, a guy that was there will be our guest on today's show, Will Buxton, a great friend of ours and, uh, you know, top Formula One presenter. And he was right there on the spot. If you watch the broadcast, you will have caught Will while he was doing it. Um, Well, Italian Grand Prix, I I wax lyrical about it on last week's show, just previewing it. It's just a magical, mystical place. And everything about it, from the thought of the the drivers that drove there, almost their ghosts of past echo around that beautiful park. And just watching the cars, for some reason, it resulted in incredible racing. And one could... Well, there's so many things to talk about today. And to be fair, I'm going to keep the open a little bit short because I have so many things I want to talk to Will about. But I was just speculating to myself, I wonder if part of the reason the racing's so good there is the DRS zones are just short enough that it doesn't mean an overtake whistles by and the advantage is taken. It, you still have to make these incredible last-minute overtaking moves. And we saw so many of those with sparks flying. Well, the results went... Uh, you know, as predicted in one way, but as always, second place down gets a bit funky. The top 10 went like this. Valtteri Bottas was in the points for Alfa Romeo. The car looked beautiful in tribute livery and certainly produced a point scoring position. And I'm sure he was pleased with that. Just ahead of him was Fernando Alonso in ninth place. The car quite evidently not as suited to the high speeds of Monza as it was in Holland. But Alonso, as we all know, if that's the position he finished, that is the position the car was able to do. He always extracts the most from it. Lando Norris, well, he was in for an eventful run to the finish in eighth place. He was leading the McLaren resurgence this stage of the season, but he certainly was in a race of action colliding with his teammate at Oscar Piastra at one point, but it made for some pretty scintillating viewing. So he is obviously up there wanting to be higher placed. The guy that really stole the show in so many ways in seventh was Alexander Albon. He It was just a tremendous demonstration of how good the Williams is. Okay, in a straight line, in DRS, it's just very fast car, but it's more than that. It's the way the team are making this evolutionary step towards being one of the best of the rest the whole time. And definitely Albon every week impresses me. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but I, I, I can't wait to ask Will about him. He but he just seems to be a guy with a mission, bringing all the fundamental elements, the DNA that makes you a great Grand Prix driver and a winner. And I think Alexander Albon has it. Ahead of him, Lewis Hamilton, uh, that was in one, two, three, four, for sixth place. Uh, he had some he had some moments, didn't he? And it, he certainly, when he cut ahead of, um, it was I think it was the Claire and uh, Piastri and damaged his front front wing. That shows Lewis is grinding, he's pushing, he's doing what he does to get out there. But I was very, I'm always impressed with Lewis. 
because you know there is only one gear for him, and that is to extract the maximum out of the car. And while his teammate George Russell finished ahead of him, uh, I'm sure that didn't sit well with Lewis. But you know he's a team player, and I think at the moment these two are very symbiotic in the way they're approaching their drive to bring their cars up to be a podium contender every race. And when it comes to George, obviously he, you know, off the back of the fact they both announced a two-year contract, George has been in the in the system all his career, the same way Lewis was all his career uh, with um, Mercedes. And it, it's just part of the drive again to get themselves up at the top. And, and I thought that uh, George, you know, George races so well. His, his, you hear his frustrations on the radio sometimes, but that's just because he, want, he wants them to do better. Obviously, a man that was wearing red this weekend, Charles Leclerc, finishing fourth, just off the podium, just being there in Monza. He is, you know, arguably over one lap, the fastest Ferrari driver. That's been the standard uh, comment coming out of Formula One media and the the Tifosi and everything. And I'm sure he wanted to be right up there and get pole position, but he didn't. That was up to his teammate Carlos Sainz, who finished on the podium in third. But let's just take a minute to appreciate the scrap that those two had, wheel to wheel, in front of the Formula One Ferrari fans, which is nearly everybody there at in the Coliseum of, of Italian motorsport, world motorsport, over 100 years of running there, just to see those two run nose to tail, really with no team orders to behave themselves other than a little reminder on the radio to not to take each other out. But I really, it was a beautiful display of what can happen behind the wheel of racing cars, Formula One cars, when you get two drivers so connected to the task. And I just thought it was, it was fantastic. And to see Carlos defend from Max Verstappen for 15 laps at the beginning, you know, beginning of the race with a foregone conclusion he was going to go by unless something went wrong was sublime to watch. And I was, I mean, if it's, if it's a Ferrari that could win a race, I'm always ready to, to get excited about that. So, you know, Charles Leclerc in fourth, he seemed at the end of the race very gracious about that because I think he realized that, you know, rising tides lift all boats and in Italy for them to have a third and a fourth place was an incredibly strong result. But in his heart, I'm sure he was a little bummed that it wasn't him that stood on the podium. And you can tell the significance of a podium there at Monza when you saw the elation and the tenacity that Carlos Sainz showed to stay ahead of him to to secure that spot on the podium to the point of almost putting his teammate in the wall a couple of times. Uh, and watching that podium and seeing him there, I, I really enjoyed it. And Carlos Sainz, I think, is flexing his personality and his ability to communicate to the team and things, and we're watching that happen. But Sergio Perez is back, and, you know, no one in the media, you, even us with a with a podcast, can be blamed for having discussed and debated the Sergio Perez momentum a few races ago when he couldn't find his, as a, an English phrase, his ass with his elbow. And he basically has shown over the last couple of races from when he couldn't even get in free practice too, to be working his way back up and he's living out the role that he has to play. Remember, I, I said it uh, all the way through, your job as a, as the teammate to someone like Max Verstappen is very evident, 
be there in second place, be there to get fastest lap if your teammate doesn't, be there to defend and help your strategist in the team work on the best end result for both cars, for the manufacturer's title, for the overall driver's championship. And he did it perfectly. I thought his drive was was actually fantastic and it was great to watch. And you didn't go, oh, they're in two different cars. They're in two different races, two different caliber. They were right there. And he didn't finish that far behind in all things considered. So I bet he went to bed on Sunday night, uh, having hopefully had a celebration with the team because he should be part of that celebration. I'm sure on other weekends he's felt a bit like Max won, but maybe I should just slide off and go home after the race. But great job for him. And especially this time of year when people are looking to contracts for next year. Uh, but then up at the front, Max Verstappen doing what he does. It wasn't easy. He had to work very hard to get past Carlos Sainz. And you watch the way he did it. And maybe the dynamics of Monza really suited this. He didn't take the risks that he, he didn't take a stupid risk. He knew eventually he would get him. But boy, he pushed Carlos very, very hard. And I think inside the helmet, Max is a pure bred racer. There is no other function for him in life. Uh, that's the way he was raised. And I'm sure he'll disagree. But, you know, as a race fan, that is what he was bred for. And to compete, which he had to at every step of his career against other drivers, uh, for him to have to work to get that victory, I thought it was fantastic. So I, I really felt that him getting 10 in a row, it's set a new record. It's a, you can. It's funny because he often says, well, it doesn't matter. Records don't mean anything. And he says that right after the race. But later on, you hear him say with a little bit of reflection, wow, that is immense. And when you hear Christian Horner on the radio and the enthusiasm that Christian had saying it was, you were a rock star, that was incredible. It's once in a lifetime thing. I think those emotions come through. So let's see how far the train can go. I'm a big fan. Obviously, I would like to see someone else win, but I'd also like records to be set that might never be broken in the history of our sports. So Max, I'm sure, has enjoyed the fruits of Sunday's race maybe more than any of the others. So as I said, many other storylines that I, I really want to talk to Will about, but I mentioned it, Yuki Sonoda, he was... He's on you, mate. Uh, he was on the show last week. Uh, if you didn't catch that interview, you should go and listen to it. Uh, uh, very insightful into the mind of a, a young Formula One driver. But w two out of three races, or I think three races he's had DNFs, two, he didn't even start the Grand Prix at all. And just when his car <laughs> heard the engine shut down, he turned it off, had to pull over. All that buildup, I can tell you it's a very difficult position as a driver. You have all that energy um, and nowhere to, to is like discharge it. I'm sure he was, um, he was like gaming like crazy on Sunday night. It's the only way he'd have any relief. Um, maybe not the only way he'd have any relief, but I don't know what he does. Uh, but it certainly was uh, a tough thing for him and a very tough thing for the team. Golden rule in racing is don't hit your teammate. Uh, we've seen it in sports cars. We had at Daytona in the 24 hours one time, the two Audis, one Audi managed to spin out, spin across the grass in the International Horseshoe and take out its teammate, both cars out of the race. Uh, disaster. It's a no-go. And generally in Formula One, we, we see drivers being quite respectful to each other when they're helping each other get 
up through the grid to get a better position. But when your best chance at a result comes by displacing your teammate, just think about the dynamics. Think about the the mental and emotional toll that puts on you because you know that your status in the team goes not by where you finish against everyone else. That's kind of a secondary thing. It's where you finish against your teammate with the equal equipment. And for me, that is the biggest, for me, it's for everyone, it's the biggest benchmark in Formula One. You can only do as well as your car is set up for and where you are on the technology ramp, so to speak, but your teammate is your bar. And we saw Piastri and Lando, Norris hit each other, which I know has caused huge problems, Uh, not huge problems, can cause huge problems, and I think they're going to analyze it. McLaren said that they're definitely going to investigate it and and try to avoid it. Uh, we saw um, the Ferrari drivers hit it, touch each other and wheel to wheel. I mean, there was some brilliant driving, but there's something about that dynamic. And just look out for it as the season progresses, because I think we're entering into a, a phase of the race season where some of that head-to-head driving, inter-team driving may get even a little bit more, um, a little more argy-bargy, as my friend Calvin Fish would say, and we're going to see it. So it's it's a no-no, but definitely um, a tough one, uh, but fun to watch. And of course, Mercedes signing two years contracts with George uh, Russell and Lewis Hamilton. I think there's a statement there. It Lewis is going to be in his 40s when he, when he finishes that contract. Uh, I think it's, he looks at uh, Alonso and his passion for driving, but Lewis is chasing that eighth title, and it'll be interesting to see what Will says about that. But George, he's the guy that is intending to take uh, Mercedes through to the future. So uh, equal contracts, uh, there's going to be some sparks flying, so it's kind of fun. And uh, oh, did you hear, just before we get to Will, there was that, I guess the moral of the story is, do not steal from super fit fast, aggressive Formula One drivers if you are a local pickpocket because Carlos Sainz actually got held up in outside his hotel. They took his, well, it's like a $300,000 um, Richard Meal watch. They took it off his wrist. He and his trainer gave chase, which just how no one had a video of this, I don't know. It must have been farcical to watch, but kind of terrifying if you realize you just nicked a watch off a guy that trains seven days a week, 365 days a year. And uh, apparently they got them. They got them. The police came. Um, maybe it's, it's a very tough way to get an autograph off of someone like Carlos Sainz. But just uh, anyway, I thought that was a little side note. Obviously didn't. Maybe got his blood up and uh, blood pressure up and he converted it into his pole position. But certainly that is a big part of, uh, that was a kind of fun storyline for the of course, when it, I'm here at the win, Las Vegas, as you know, and uh, some more fun news to report when it comes to the Concorde d'Elegance, the Las Vegas Concorde, which will be taking place right outside here on the golf course here at the win. So many elements coming together. We ha- now have cars confirmed from hypercars to supercars to the latest EVs. We have cars coming from some of the world's best car collections that really are the poster child of pre- and post-war automobiles. It's kind of a showcase of the history of the cars, but there's VIP packages. There's some big celebrities coming. I will be hosting it, so that's going to be kind of fun. Uh, We're along with uh, April Rose, who is my former 
co-host at Barrett Jackson, and she's going to be here. It's just going to be a really good event. So it's incredibly affordable to be a part of it. Go to lasvegasconcourse.com and check it all out. Read up on it. And yeah, maybe you can't afford to come to the Grand Prix, but you can definitely afford, if you are anywhere near, to come to this Las Vegas Concours. And they are redefining the genre. Is going to be all sorts of fun and fresh things for people to inv- in, in, for people to enjoy that weekend. Well, now it's time to introduce our guest, Will Buxton. Started out oh, over twenty years ago as a mere Formula One reporter, but then he made his way onto the very popular Speed Channel network here in the States. He then went on to IndyCar with NBC and in 2018 became Formula One Group's first digital presenter. Not sure what that means, but I do know I see him a lot online doing all sorts of shows for Formula One each weekend. And then, of course, we see him in the pre-show when he stands there and you can tell he's always got something more to say, which is part of the reason I really like Will. Now, of course, the Netflix Drive to Survive documentary series, along with a lot of other people, made Will very popular. And he went on to great success with his first book, My Greatest Defeat, Stories of Hardship and Hope for Motor Racing's Finest Heroes. Will, thank you for joining the show. It's It's been a while, but I watch you on TV, so I feel like it's, it's an every week occurrence. <laughs> oh, mate, it's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for welcoming me to the show. Um, delighted, to, well, first of all, delighted to see you again, mate. Yeah, and, I know, it's uh, very nice. It's been a while. Different continents these days. But um, I, I tell you what, this weekend, sitting at home in LA, watching the Monza weekend, <laughs> I've got to say, it's one of those weekends you go, for so many reasons do I wish I was there, right? From the moment you have your first coffee to the food to the atmosphere, just as a race fan, which I know you've been your whole life, you know, we know how you got into it, but, you know, you at heart, you're a race fan. What's it, What tell us about Monza for you and going back every year. So um, a lot of people don't know this, but when I was, when I was young, like I was a massive Ayrton Senna fan, but then I also became like this huge Ferrari fan. And my first year working in Formula One, when I was working for Formula One magazine, they sent me to Monza and the brief was be Tifosi for the weekend. So I camped at Lesmo. I got up with the sun as it rose on Sunday morning. I climbed the ladder. I jumped the wall. I ran from the police uh, and I had my paddock pass. So I was like, if I get caught, I'm okay because I'm yeah. supposed to be here. But I, I ran, I, I jumped, I climbed the tree with those ancient nails slammed into the side that had been there for decades. Um, I experienced the Italian Grand Prix as a tifoso. And when the Grand Prix ended, I smashed through the fence and got onto the the start finish straight and got onto the side of that huge Ferrari banner and shook it. And and I wrote an article about, about what it was to be Tifoso at Monza. There's something magical about it. And um, the only thing I can compare it to in terms of, of everything I've experienced in, in 20 odd years in this game is being at Indianapolis. Mm. Uh, it's the sense of history. It's the fact that, you know, that track, the grandstands that surround it they have witnessed every moment in the history of our sport they have witnessed the greats every every great that has ever raced in our sport has raced 
and there is something unique and magical and and utterly beautiful about it. And when you arrive on Sunday morning and a Ferrari driver is on pole, there is <gasps> there is pulsing electricity through the air. It is so special. It is <sighs> so magic, and it is. It's you know you know you know what it is, man. Yeah, it's you should just, you should write a book. The hairs of my arms are up. That's <laughs> fantastic. No, I mean I, I went there with dad. They, you know they did a thousand kilometer race there back in the day. I was probably fifteen, sixteen, and you know thinking about going racing. And he we walked through the park, you know, and people don't realize. I mean, you are strolling through a beautiful park, and the TV doesn't really show it shows it from above, but obviously not the walking part. And he said, Dad, he said, JB, just listen. He said you can almost hear. Sterling Moss on the banking and Fangio. You can almost hear yes. them. He said, it's weird. Yes. He said, I swear the trees whisper with the, with the yes, ghosts. So, so, so I, I, I wrote a, um, a sort of an opener for our, our show this weekend. And I, and I said that the mist that hangs on that Sunday morning, it, it, it feels like ghosts amongst the trees. And, and, and it is. There are ghosts in that place that, that, that live. And when you arrive and you, you get certain days when that mist is low, through that Royal Park. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very spiritual experience. Mm, it's, uh, a, it's, well, now we've sounded like two old men on our rocking chairs going oh, back and forth going, I remember I when, um, let's, let's, let's talk Ferrari because if there was going to be a storybook oh, wow. and, and, you know, if it was a net made for Netflix series episode was being on pole, at, in a Ferrari. Uh, at Monza. At, at Monza. How happy were you that it was, not happy, it's the wrong thing to say. How pleased were you for Carlos that it was Carlos Sainz that put it on pole? So I was having a chat with Davide Valsecchi, who ex-driver, uh, GP2 champion, or was it Formula 2 at the time? I can't remember. Um, and now provides commentary for Sky Sports Italia. And we were talking before qualifying, and he said that he didn't think that Carlos Sainz was getting the recognition that he deserved in Italy. And I completely agreed. And when you looked at Zanvoort and how Charles had struggled and Carlos had been on it in arguably the fifth or sixth fastest car of the weekend and had held back Lewis, who had argued that he'd had the second fastest car of the weekend, you start to, to see what a job Carlos has, uh, has done this year and has done in recent races. And the fact that he was the one on the front foot for the entire weekend, that Charles had to copy his setup in qualifying and for the race. And he took that pole and then defended like a lion Amazing. through that race for as long as he could, tore through his tires um, just to try to keep Max yeah. behind. Would, would, would I you be know, right who's, in saying... Who's, who's kept Max behind that long? No one. This and year, last year, ever. 15 laps of holding Max Verstappen behind you. Give is me it, one driver that's held Max Verstappen I don't Verstappen think they have. And, and I think you, you're right. As, as I was thinking, he was defending the way you would defend in a Ferrari at Monza if you had the chance. It was like, I know we should maintain the tires. I know we should think about our electric charge. I know we should do this. And he's like, that, let's just go. And, 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 and bear in mind, we're not talking about seasons past where the cars were on a similar level and everything uh -huh. was kind of, you know. That RB19 is head and shoulders the best car in the field. Hmm. And a Ferrari, which some weekends has been sixth at best at the hands of Carlos Sainz, held the car and the driver, which has already taken records and took in Monza the record for the most 
consecutive wins in a row. Red Bull, the most consecutive wins in a row for a team. A car which may, and a driver who may set records this season, which will never be surpassed. There is every possibility they will score the perfect season. And that's never been done when you take into account the... So 50 and 52, Alpha in 50 and Ferrari in 52 won every World Championship Grand Prix, but they didn't do the Indy 500. And the Indy 500 was a round of the World Championship, but wasn't considered a Grand Prix. So for me, that's like a sprint race, yeah, right? It's yeah. a round of the world. So it counts to the World Championship, but it's not a Grand Prix. Red Bull can win every single thing this year, which in total is 28 races, 22 Grand Prix, six sprints. They do that. It's history. No one's ever done that. Yeah. And, and, I, and I can't see how anyone beats them. I can't. Yeah. How Carlos in a Ferrari, which sometimes is the second best car, sometimes it's fourth, sometimes it's sixth, something, held him off for 15 laps. It was one of the best drives of the year. Yeah, yeah. Genuinely, it was sensational. I'm so glad you said that. I, I did think so. I, I mean, and it was wonderful to watch and the scrapping. A couple of things on that. I have so many things I need to answer ask you um how um when you're you're there you see their personalities for me leclerc i mean he's a charles is a he's a he's a he's a wonderfully refined you know gentleman you could see it he's he's a, he's just a nice sophisticated kid for me if i was standing in a bar with carlos and charles i wouldn't want my girlfriend or my friends to be near you know girlfriends to be near carlos because he looks like an alpha male that would dominate the situation is that what it's like in the team you know what i'm throwing out there is he a stronger Wait, human I know, i've got i've got is he, i wouldn't want my girlfriend or my wife yeah uh yeah, I them, yeah. to be near to, to to be to be near either of them yeah uh because they're both frankly beautiful um yeah, yeah. and incredibly good at what they do um so here's the mad thing and and, and again i was talking to somebody on the monza weekend and they said, the one thing Charles lacks is leadership. Mm. And I thought about it. Who's the driver that second guesses the team on the radio? Who's the driver that calls his own strategies? Who's the yeah. driver that actually kicks back and says, yeah. no, that's not yeah, good yeah. enough. And it's Carlos. Carlos. And you look at the front row of the grid in Monza. Front row of the grid in Monza was the Toro Rosso team from, where are we? Half a decade ago. It was Carlos yeah. and Max. Yeah. How did Red Bull ever let Carlos go? How did they not see the potential that existed in this guy to be something special? And maybe when you're faced with a mega, you forget that the special yeah. can be, you know, can, can it, help, can exactly. add to that. Because and, you're, and you're so focused era, on the mega yeah. that cut then, yeah, without a max, Carlos is, is your mega. Yeah. And you hold him up and you do everything for him. But when Carlos is compared to a Max, he, you know, Max is, is once in a generation. Yeah, yeah. Which is Carlos is special. And, and, and Charles is special. And they're both special, but they both bring something different. And that's why I think Ferrari have a very, very strong lineup. I love Fred. I love his whole approach. Talk about that. His love, approach. Is he, is he allowing them? Looks to me... I mean, we had so many inter-team clashes, right, on track yeah. on Sunday, uh, which, of course, as, as you and I know, we're like, you're breaking the cardinal rule. There is no other rule. Yes. Just do not hit your teammate, Lando, Oscar, Carlos, you know, Charles. But the Ferrari of old would have literally, you know, terminated them 
uh, for doing that. But it yeah. looks like Fred's, he's not encouraging oh, that. Fred wanted it. He, what does he want it? He wants him to go. He's, he's he, a race. Yeah, he does. Well, he said, he said, A, the Tifosi deserved it. They deserved a battle. They deserved a fight. They deserved to see fire from their drivers. Um, and I love that with Fred. And I just, I just hope the Ferrari board give Fred time. Mm. Um, you know, Fred, so I very nearly said this on the broadcast at the weekend, but I didn't. Um, and my, my, my fellow host said that they were very glad I didn't, but I'll say <laughs> it on your show. Fred reminds me a little bit of my uh, two-month-old daughter, and she's two months old today, in that she can, she can crap her pants and still laugh. And that is kind of where Ferrari are at right now. Is <laughs> even when it goes wrong, Fred just giggles. You know, yeah. he laughs his way through it. It's, it's fine. Um, and 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 that is uh, that is something so huge within that organization because Ferrari takes itself so seriously. They take how they're viewed seriously. They take how they are portrayed, particularly in the Italian media, very very seriously. And Fred is one of the few people in our industry, few people in our sport, who can transcend that, who can go beyond that, doesn't look at it, doesn't read it, doesn't care, gets on with the job at hand. And you and I both know that outside of Roger Penske, there probably isn't a team boss from the last 25 years who has had as much success as Fred Vasseur has through ASM, ART, through the junior formulas. We wouldn't have a Nico Rosberg, a Lewis Hamilton, a Nico Hulkenberg, uh, you you name them. The greatest drivers of the last two decades have come through Fred's school of racing. He knows racing. He knows how to set up good racing teams. He knows how to channel the best out of drivers. So I hope that Ferrari recognize that what they're dealing with this year is a consequence of the years gone by and they give Fred time to put in the processes, bring in the people, and also to do what Jean Tot did all those years ago in the 1990s and create that solid barrier between the boardroom and the and the race team yep. and just let them operate in and of themselves and and bring the best back to yeah. Maranello. I really, well, we I, all I really it, hope right? that they do I, that. I always say, uh, you know, everybody in the paddock, if it isn't them winning, always wishes, is like at Le Mans, always wishes as a Ferrari. I really do think so because you're like, they're just the team. Anyway, let's move on past Ferrari because one of the big stories obviously for me is is always is always Mercedes. Um, you know they had they had they grind. Would I be right in saying they they grind? Lewis knows how to grind, and I've said on this show many times because people, it's so popularist, especially now in our in our drive to survive era. Uh, is people don't sometimes know the history of it, right? A lot of these new fans, yeah. and you go, oh, Lewis, oh, he's he's all right. I'm like, no, he was one of the most dominant drivers yeah, yeah. on the planet. Ever and he hasn't forgotten how to bloody do it. What they've signed two year contracts, him and George Russell, same length of contract. That's interesting. But Lewis's fight, his fire, you see it in his eyes. You interview him. Talk us through the George and Lewis status as they are right now. I think George is going to be pissed that Lewis has got the same length contract that he has because I think George came into the team thinking I'm going to be top dog I'm I'm the man I'm taking this on to the future you know Lewis is going to mm. retire this is my birthright I've done my time at Williams I'm here now to lead the team he's not and Lewis has stayed on um, I worry for Lewis that this 8th world championship will become a millstone 
that I know it's his inspiration now, but when you keep striving for something and it gets further and further away, it becomes this incredibly heavy weight around you that you can't possibly, you can't possibly attain. And, um, you know, Mercedes need a huge turnaround. They've spent two years wasting away with a design philosophy that hasn't worked. You know, they did it for a year and you would have thought over the winter, they said, right, that hasn't worked. We'll skip that. We'll scrap it. Put it in the, put it in the trash. Start again, do something new. And they didn't. They, 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 they stuck with this philosophy, which no one else in the sport had. And after one race said, yeah, that's in the skip. Okay, so you've just wasted your entire winter. You're now six months to a year behind the rest of the field. How do they catch that up for as good as they are within a new era where we have a budget cap? They can't just throw an extra $500 million at the problem. They can't test exponentially in the wind tunnel in CFD. They, they can't do it. The restrictions are too tight. They don't have the freedom that they once had. Um, I don't know how they pull it back. Mm. I hope they can. Yeah, and they just grind. They I have to see keep the, grinding, right? I want to I see the best out of Lewis. I want to see him back to that level. I would love to see him fighting again for consistent Grand Prix victories. And honestly, for as much as success as Red Bull and Max Verstappen have, I think they want it too. Yeah. I know Max loves it. Max enjoyed that Italian Grand Prix more than any other race this year because he had to fight for it. Because when he crossed that line, he knew he deserved it. And he knew we'd get the, you know, that pumping. You can lead for the entire thing and think, yeah, I did a great job. But if you have to fight for it and you cross that yeah. line and your adrenaline's firing, that means more. Yeah. And um, I think you're so right. He wants to take, he yeah. wants, he wants to take on Lewis. He wants, Lewis is, is, is inarguably one of the best of all time. And, and we know that. And we can look at that objectively and say, Jim Clark, Jackie Stewart, Ayrton Senna, Fangio, uh, Sterling Moss, yeah. uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton, the best of all time, the yeah. best our sport's ever seen, Mario Andretti, yeah, the best of all time. Max is getting there. But to beat Lewis when the gloves are off, the machinery is equal as it was in 2021, but you don't have that controversy at the end that just it. taints yeah. it a little bit. He, Max wants to beat Lewis without that. You know, he, yeah. wa he wants to beat him in a fair, f and it was a fair fight. The last round was what it was. For the whole season, it was a fair fight. Put them back in the ring at the same time on an equal Sparks footing. will fly. Max, I tell you, they race Max each other wants, differently. And I yeah, but I guarantee you, Max and Lewis, both of them want nothing more than to fight each other again and to yeah. absolutely work out who's the best. It's Ali versus Fraser. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's that big. I love the way you put that. I do. I mean, so exciting. So that's why we're hooked every week, but let's, let's, uh, so those are a legend in the making very much there, a legend already there, but we have these young drivers that are coming and I know you, you've seen the cadence of our sport over the last 20 odd years. If you if you had your pick now, Albon, Piastri, Lawson. I mean, Piastri's in, in the seat. He's a champion in the making. I get that. But Lawson coming in, replacing Ricciardi, you know, it, just fantastic stuff. My question to you is, you've got this young talent. If you were 
uh, Vasseur, if you were, you know, sitting at Red Bull, if you sit, who who are you eyeing up? Going, this is the next Max, or is there a next Max? I don't know. So that's that's the hard thing with the Red Bull program is as soon as you get in a Vettel, every other driver is compared to Vettel. You get a Max, so every other driver is compared to Max. And that's why the Red Bull program has been so harsh over its lifespan and why so many former Red Bull drivers have been left in this giant scrap heap of former drivers and some real quality drivers within that number. You and I both know 20, 25, 30 brilliant, exceptional drivers. But they, when the barometer is where it is, that you have to be a Seb or a Max, how the hell would you compete with that? Yeah. Um, I think it's very, very difficult in Formula One at the moment to prove yourself and look no further than Nick DeVries, who we both know yeah. is an excellent talent. Yeah. And a rare, rare talent who has been a Formula Two champion, who has been a Formula E champion, who is phenomenal in endurance racing. Who He has it all. He's also a wonderful package for sponsors. He's personable. He is eloquent. He is, he is literally the perfect package for a racing driver. And he's given half a season and he's booted. And I find that exceptionally harsh. Mm. But we saw it with Albon. We saw it with Gasly. They had to go elsewhere to rebuild their careers. I would love nothing more than to see Nick DeVries with Alex Albon at Williams in 2024 as this team of rejuvenation and reconciliation and bringing them back yeah. to their four. That's a great I would point. love to see that, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I think Toro, uh, not Toro Rosso, what they're called now, AlphaTauri. AlphaTauri have got an issue because they're ultimately going to have three drivers for two seats. Yuki mm. Tsunoda's not going anywhere. I hope they don't rush Daniel back because if they rush him back for Singapore and he crashes with a metal plate in his hand, he's done and he's probably done yeah. forever. So I hope they don't rush him back. They know how good he is. They know the quality he has. But Liam Lawson, what a day. I mean... Okay, he's not scored points, right? But I, and I saw him after Monza, and I said, "Great race, man!" And he said, "Yeah, but I, you know, I, I, I've got no time. I've got." And he was freaking out, and he was like, "I've got no time. I have to impress. I can't. I can't do this. I can't finish 11th. I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" For the first half of the season, every time Yuki finished 11th, we praised him as the next Messiah because yeah. this car is horrible. So take it, man. It's your second Grand Prix and you finished in the position that we used to praise your teammate for finishing and just take it. Like, you're doing great. Just bed yourself in. And he's going to have two more races. He's going to have Singapore. He's going to have Japan because there's no way they rush Daniel in for those. He knows Suzuka because he's been racing there in Super Formula. Just take your time. Bed yourself in. And I can see Liam ending up at Williams next year alongside Albon because they're not going to want to let him go. They want to going to want to keep that experience yeah. going. Um, so yeah, I'm, I've been I've been very very impressed. Yeah, that's with good. him, yeah, and I've been more good. impressed with Liam Lawson in two weekends than I have been in Logan for the entire season. I know, and that's it's it's harsh on on Logan, and I know that, but he had, you know, the Peter principle. So no. you reach the L, so you reach the level of your own. Uh, a sort of weakness. Okay. You can't, there's, there's, there's a ceiling. So you reach the level of your own inadequacy. And that does sound harsh, but that's ultimately Formula One. 
we have seen countless drivers reach the pinnacle of our sport who were exceptional in June. And Logan was. Mick Schumacher was. Um, and yet that next step, Antonio Giovinazzi was. You hit that next step, and it's just that step too far. The car is half a second ahead of you. You're reacting rather than being ahead of it. Always. And, and if we don't see something exceptional out of Logan in Singapore and Japan, I think that's it's it. It's tough. Yeah. And, and you only have to it look is, with the number. It's so of, hard. But the number of people that are lining up and you look at the pressure. I mean, I, 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 I know I've only got a few, a few more minutes, but I, I do want to ask your opinion on what it's like in the paddock. We can carry on. Yeah. We can okay, carry good. on. You know, it's okay. one of the things that uh, I know, I was talking to Jeremiah, my producer, about this morning is, you, you know, when you go to a Formula One, we the public look at it as this incredibly huge organism, which it is. But when you're there walking down the paddock, it, it's, it doesn't matter if it's IMSA, it's sports, you know everybody, it's a family. It's a very disjointed, dysfunctional family, but it, everybody's known each other for years and the new kids come in and everything. But we all understand the pressures. The pressures are there regardless and, uh, and we understand the driver pressure. And I had it when I was at Corvette and I wasn't quite living up to promise at one point and I, and I know the pressure would put me under. But I didn't have my dad owning the team and uh, and... My dad going, you know, shit, son, we got a problem here. Uh, what what are the emotions going on? What's the vibe around Lance Stroll with Aston Martin? I mean, last weekend was not a fair indication. He got no time. I understand that. It was a shit show for him. But when it comes to uh, the pressure, the pressure, Lance, Lawrence Stroll is a multi-billionaire businessman who makes tough decisions. How far are off they are they off making a very tough decision? I, I honestly don't think they are. Mm. Because, they can't. yeah, but it's not. It's not a business decision, is it? No. The, the, the decision sits there. Yeah. Not in his pocket. The decision sits there. How do you? How do you fire your child? My dad tried a few times, but that was just over. <laughs> that was just over other stuff. You wait, Will. Wait till your daughter no, becomes no, no. Okay. a fifteen-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but it's. It, I don't think. I don't think Lawrence will. Mm. I genuinely don't think he will. Um, it's a it's it's a really difficult scenario there because you 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 see the point discrepancy between the two of them and there is no way on earth that you could argue that Lance is up to the level of Fernando Alonso no chance and you could argue that a lot of drivers in the sport would be making a very better a very much better account of themselves in what is and has been for the most part of the season the second or third best car so what's the point of the team? What's the, what's the purpose? And at what point does Lawrence look at the longer term game? Or at what point does the board turn around to Lawrence and say, this isn't a vehicle. This is a, this is a business. Um, Lawrence is by, uh, Lance, sorry, is by no means a, a, a poor driver. No. But he's not at the level of some of his rivals and to be clear i think we have three drivers in formula one that are exceptional and they are max lewis and Fernando. they are the complete 
driver. Exceptional. Beyond what any other driver in the sport. You then have the next level down of really very, very good drivers, but still with some way to go until they're considered complete. And amongst those are your Charles, Carlos, Lando, um, George, Alex Albon. You know, really exceptional, yeah. but they just have that, that, that nth degree to go until you can consider them complete. Um, and then there are others. And, uh, you know, and Lance is, is within that number. Still an exceptional driver, but not, not of that caliber. Hmm. Not of a world championship winning, yeah. you know, exceptional. And you, you said it earlier, also, who are you measuring up against? Right? You're measuring up <laughs> against Fernando Alonso. So you, you're kind of screwed for a while and just do your best job you can. And he has, he's had those moments. And I you know you mentioned it on a few of your broadcasts. He has those moments. He has those little golden moments, which to be honest, Logan hasn't had. He has moments when he defended against Lewis and I go, geez, do you know that's Lewis Hamilton trying to go by? You know, and, and, and Lance is right in there giving him grief. And I'm going early in the year, I go, that is good. That that's gets good. my pulse up. Yeah. And, that, and that's it. And, you know, I got some social media messages in the week saying, why are you guys giving Logan Sargent such a hard time? He's a rookie. You know, you don't, you don't slam the experienced drivers when they crash. Why are you slamming a rookie when they crash? And it's because it, there's so little time in the sport these days. You know, if you have established yourself in the sport, you have established yourself to the point where you can make mistakes because you are pushing the, the limits. You are trying to go beyond and take yourself to that ultimate. But when you're a rookie, you can't run before you can walk. And you have to prove that you're worthy of the trust to go beyond that limit. And that's, that's what Logan doesn't have at the moment. Yep. He needs to prove that he's worthy of that opportunity. Because getting to Formula One is it's just the first hurdle. There are so many others that you have to, to pass before you, you know, you get into that uh, rarefied air. Yeah, beautifully put. Got to ask you, because you're the guy that is perfectly positioned for this. I've been a Formula One fan since I was a kid. So have you. But living here in America, just to feel the energy shift, and we know why, the TV, Netflix show really did change that. The cast that they put together, you and everybody else, you know, really great, knowledgeable, authentic people. Who, they didn't just bring in male models to replace you who could talk, you know, <laughs> with, with broad shoulders and white teeth. You know, they really used the resources they had and, and cultivated you. Describe the shift from 10 years ago in Formula One to now and just, is it way more fun for you. I mean, you're famous now, Will. Before, you could go on going to a Grand Prix and if you'd been in New York or Vegas, they would have gone, and what, horse Grand Prix? What do you, you know, now, yeah. you're a popularist figure. It's, um, it's amazing. And, and I think back, you know, listen, I started my television career with Speed Channel back at the start we of We all have our speed decade. gear at home, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. Back in the 2010s. Yeah. Uh, and then I was very lucky to move to NBC uh, and had a wonderful time there. And what a lot of people in the States don't, don't see is the 50, 60 years of hard work that it took to make this thing an overnight success. Um, 
and I look at Speed Vision, Speed Channel, NBC Sports, the investment, the time, the effort, the thought that went into really providing the story and the um, explanation of the sport to a generation who still watch it and still love it and still adore it. Um, and that was always the challenge in the States was how do we feed the fan base who have loved this thing for decades and who are just getting into it? And um, to see how popular it's become over the last few years, to see how successful Drive to Survive has been uh, and how many new fans it's brought in. The fact we now have three races back in the States, it's uh, I'm very, very proud, very proud to have played a very small part. It's great, man. Your thoughts on Vegas? Obviously, I'm here at the Win Las Vegas. It, I mean, I tell you what, it's gearing up, mate. There are Formula One cars next door. I've got McLarens and Ferraris and Red Bulls and literally Alphas in the showroom next door. And then we've got a Formula One car in the lobby. This place is gearing up for, and the road work is, is unbelievable outside on the strip. What are your anticipations for Vegas? Uh, I'm looking forward to Vegas. I can't wait. I've only ever been there once as a, as a tourist, but excited for everything that it has to offer. Uh, for Formula One, I think uh, a night race in Vegas is going to be something very, very special. Cool. Gonna well, pause and going to say we need to finish because I've got to take yeah. this call because yeah. I'm they're waiting and I'm I'm uh, I'm okay. late. I'm late. Okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you four questions. Are you ready? Yes, hit me. All right, hit this me, is Go. the Mobile One pit stop for the love of driving. Well, which um driver when they come to Vegas would you say is going to maybe get to bed the latest and enjoy Vegas the most? Pierre Gasly. <laughs> That's great. Um next one. Uh what would your okay you became a father in July. Congratulations. Which Formula One driver would you let babysit her? Uh, oh, great question. Um, 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 uh, Lewis. Oh, that's kind of nice. Oh, he, well, he looks after his dog well, doesn't he? Um, and yeah. se <laughs> second question, you will please tell me you'll never let her race cars. Never. That's the right answer. Um, and my last one of all, um, if you had any sporting event you've never covered, you could go anywhere to cover it, what would that be? Easy. Uh, with NBC, I was very fortunate to uh, cover the qualifying week for the Indy 500, but I never covered the 500 itself. It would be a bucket list and an honor to report on the 500. It is the greatest race. Ah, I love it. Thank you for answering those. Well, listen, it's been so good. We should do it again. Maybe when we come in for Vegas, you yes. can come in and sit here and we can relax and have a good time. 100%. I will see you in Vegas. I will see you at the win, my friend. We will do this on site 100%. For real. Take care and get ready to fly abroad, I guess. All right. Take care, mate. Can't wait, mate. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Hey, race fans. What is it about a race that's so exciting? Is it the breakneck speeds, uh, the constant pressure? the ever-present threat of danger, or is it simply the driving? Think about it. There's no phones, no laptops, no screens, just the world's greatest drivers, cars, and the ultimate freedom. Yep, it is all of the above. Mobile One, for the love of driving. It's a pity that had to end. I think we could have gone on for hours. Definitely excited to take him up on his offer to sit here in studio at the Win Las Vegas with me in November. Can't wait. The teams all head east now. It's a weekend off this 
coming weekend, but then it is time for the race in Japan. Spare a thought. While the drivers probably are testing and sim and working on the development of the car and everybody's doing a lot of work, there's a logistical operation in place that would make the military proud. I'm going to read a couple of statistics here. In 2021, uh, the shipping company moved 1,540 tons of equipment and 532 cars more than 75,000 miles. That is about 40 to 55 tons for each of the 10 teams, 330,000 pounds of broadcast media equipment, 30 containers of tents and hospitality equipment, and more than 22,000 pounds in weight of electronic equipment for each team. It takes five Boeing 777 freighters just for a flyaway event. And in addition to all the individual team kits transported from circuit to circuit, about 120 ocean containers circulate in the background, moving less urgent equipment, such as catering equipment and furniture and race suites and things. Just think about that. That is all happening right now. They have to be there well in advance of the race teams and the cruise mechanics drivers arriving. And that is like shifts. They move around the world with duplicate sets of equipment. That's why it's so expensive. But they're heading off to Japan and we'll be catching and talking about that next week. Well, a busy time here at the Win as we're getting ready for Formula One. I'll tell you what, as you can't mistake it. I always say it. There's cars around here, but there's more than just the cars. It's the whole energy at the Win and Las Vegas. Uh, I was in my Uber yesterday driving here and they're talking about it and wondering what I think about what the race is going to be like and where they can watch it and, and what the traffic's going to be like. It is a subject of conversation here. And certainly for a lot of people, getting the chance to come to the inaugural Formula One race in Las Vegas, the newest, latest third race on the calendar to be held in the States in one year. And it's the first time that's ever happened. So there's a lot of stimulation, a lot of interest. And there's a way you can get here. Only the Win and the Encore offer totally inclusive Formula One packages. So go to thewinlasvegas.com slash experiences slash F1 and you can see all the multi-level ways you can be a part of it. It's very interesting to note that while a lot of Las Vegas just down the strip a bit will be landlocked by the track, the Win is actually in the best position. It's at the end, you'll follow some of the cars, all the cars going around a certain number of corners right by the sphere, but the, it'll actually be one of the few resorts, casinos that you can actually access from the other side. So it's going to be the hub of all activity and I for one can't wait to be here. If you have any questions, just reach out to me on social media and I can also help hook you out, up and uh, direct you in the right place. If you did enjoy the show, please like and share whatever the platform you're watching on. We are really excited to help grow it. We're hitting some great numbers and start a conversation. I, I'm always interested to know what people want to talk about when I get some of these guests on. A big thank you to Win Las Vegas for having me here as a guest in their amazing podcast studio with Blue Wire. And of course, to Mobile One for the love of driving, for supporting the show. I will see you next week. Uh, I can't wait for Japan. <laughs>